0: So if you've followed this podcast for any amount of time, you know that one of my biggest issues as a homesteader is growing, well, really growing anything, but especially fruit. I figured out how to stumble along with a lot of vegetables here on the Wyoming Prairie, but fruit trees are something I have completely given up on. I don't even think about it anymore. Until the other day when I happened across an email in my inbox talking about a new book coming out all about growing apples in cold climates. So I hit reply immediately to schedule the author for a chat because I am bound to determine if there's a way to grow an apple in Wyoming, I'm gonna figure it out. So welcome to the podcast,
1: Bob. Thank you very much.
0: I am very excited for this conversation, but before we get into all of my woes around growing apples or not growing apples, can you give us a little background on what got you into this area of interest? orchards
1: and apples and all that good stuff? Well, I, in the 1970s, I was a cabinet maker. And then I, I went out and bought five apple trees at the local store, planted them. And they really did terribly. They, some of them killed back, some of them uh, never ripened. And it got me interested in, in different in apple cultivars. And then I got interested in root stocks and so forth. And uh, it sort of took off from there. And I I learned how to graft. And learning how to graft was like learning a sort of magical procedure because you take this little piece of wood from the apple that you want, stick it onto a rootstock and somehow it unites. And lo and behold, you have a new new apple of the kind that you want. And I just thought that was miraculous. So my father actually had bought an old farm near us and just to be to be near us and I uh it had great soil and where I was living before was a gravel pit in a frost pocket so I moved over here and we started to graft apples then gradually we ended up now we grow about a thousand different cultivars and species of anything perennial and hardy So, so that sort of got me into it and apples have always been kind of our specialty.
0: Yeah. So where you live in Canada, what's your climate like in your particular region? Are you, I'm assuming you're fairly harsh.
1: We are sort of, uh, we're in the maritime provinces, so we're in southeastern New Brunswick. Uh, so it's very changeable, we can go to minus 40, and mm-hmm. which is Celsius or Fahrenheit, the same. Uh, or, and then it can it can rise up again, and all of a sudden we'll be in the 50s, and then it'll plunge back down. So it's a, it is a challenging climate for a lot of material. Uh, and and so we, we sort of started out collecting different cultivars of apples. Some didn't work out, some did. And gradually we ended up with, uh, well, I have probably at least 120 or 130 different cultivars of apples now.
0: Okay. So I just, I mean, I have a lot of questions for you, but I just have to, I just have to ask it straight out. I mean, we live in Southeast Wyoming, where it sounds like we're similar to you, or we can get down to, you know, 30 below. And then a week later, it's up to 50 and it goes back and forth. We get a lot of blizzard type conditions with extreme wind, blowing snow. Is is it even possible for me to grow apples or should I just like focus on something else?
1: No, I, I think one of the keys would be, uh, you, you need moisture in the soil. So, if you get really, really dry, that's going to be a bit of a problem. Uh, as far as the ups and downs go in the cold, there are a lot of apples here that originally came out of places like Russia and, you know, very, very cold climates. Um, a lot of the original apple um, or the place where the original apples were is in southern Kazakhstan. And a lot of those apples grew on the steps there, which were really dry and windy and so forth. So, you know, there. I think the most important thing you'll choose is the type of apple that you're going to plant, because you're not going to have good luck probably growing Red Delicious or, or Macintosh or, you know, some of the more common ones. But places like the University of Minnesota and a lot of the, the prairie provinces, have been breeding apples now for almost a century. And a lot of those are good for like zone three conditions, even zone two conditions. So, again, those apples should be able to throw anything that you can or take anything you can throw at them.
0: Okay. I had tried a number of years ago, I got a, a couple decent sized trees from a local nursery and they, I planted them, one died immediately, the other one lingered painfully for about a year or two years and then finally I was, or I was actually longer than that I gave it some time and then it just it just kind of shriveled up and then it was gone so i'm assuming those were just the wrong variety potentially
1: it could be that and it also could be the rootstocks that they're on because every almost every tri- tree is actually a combination of a root and then the top so the top could be super hardy for instance but if it's put on like an English dwarfing rootstock or something, it's not going to survive in your in your site. So you need to have really tough rootstocks as well as tough tops. So we we graft a lot of our apples here on something called Antonovka, and that is a, a very hardy Russian um, cultivar that that produces good seedlings for for grafting onto, and they'll take you know minus fifty. So. Okay. You know, it's really important that you you understand that the apple is actually two different apples. And so both of those have to be good. And also it depends on what kind of shape when they came from the store, what what kind of shape were they in? So um, a lot lot of different factors there. And soil, of course, is important too. I don't know what your pH is uh, there, your acidity levels in your soil.
0: Yeah, I... I think the last time I had it tested, it was we weren't super acidic. we were pretty we were pretty middle of the road.
1: We weren't neutral. leaning
0: one yeah. yeah pretty neutral. We weren't leaning hard one way or the other.
1: Yeah, because apples grow best just below neutral, so six point five to seven. That's ideal. Uh, so if you have that, and you, you know you can work in some compost and uh, keep them at least watered well the first season, uh, and stake them for wind for the first years especially, and I would I would recommend that you probably stick with what we call standard roots. Uh, these are like an old fashioned tree. A lot of the dwarfing root stocks, uh, they need to be um, staked or tied up to a, a system of posts and wires pretty much for their whole life. Otherwise they'll lean and they tend to be sort of brittle, brittle roots. Uh, but if you have a standard root, you're gonna have probably the best chance of success.
0: Okay. That's good. I didn't, I did not realize, like you were saying, there's the rootstock and then there's the top. I did not realize there was the kind of two different pieces that you're looking at there.
1: Yeah. They're two that's different amazing. plants.
0: Okay. That's yeah. had no idea. I, I know nothing obviously. <laughs> so, um, if someone's listening or watching this, you know, maybe they're not in, is, uh, in an extreme, a client as I, or climate as I am, but you know, they're thinking, you know, what do I need to look for? Or what do I need to go to a hardy apple or a, or just a regular apple, like what parts of a climate are going to be harder on an apple tree? I know there's a lot of varieties, but just kind of
1: as a general rule. Well, I mean, you have the, the minimum winter temperature and that is the, the, the essential factor that determines a hardiness zone. So if you know the zone that you're in, you wanna try to find an apple that's rated for that zone. Uh, so you know, if you're if you go to minus 35, well, maybe you're in a zone four. Or you know, if you if you're colder than that, go to minus 40 every winter, then you'd be in a zone three or even two. So uh, that's critical. And also, like I say, the the rootstock is important as well. It's, it's it's probably best to try to order from a nursery that specializes in hardy trees, because a lot of the stock that's brought in it might've been grown in Washington state, right? Or Oregon. And, and so you ship it in and, and it's soft wood because they've got a long season, it's very warm, hardly gets any frost, right? And then you stick it in to a Wyoming situation and it does not survive well. So for instance, our, our trees here probably, we can't get the kind of growth that, that you could get further south, but the growth that we do get uh has a what I call a better carbohydrate to water relation ratio so they're tougher right and I think I think that's important as well
0: okay um where I know you're in Canada so you probably have different sources uh but do you have do you know of places where like maybe we could order online these different Mm -hmm. or tougher varieties or is it kind of a regional thing
1: yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't know too many of the hardy nurseries in I th- I think probably a trip on Google would probably be worth it. And you want to yeah. look in places like Minnesota, uh, South Dakota, North Dakota. Uh, these are places that that do have programs for uh, for breeding programs and so forth. I know Minnesota has a huge program there. And they have a lot of different cultivars that are excellent for really hard, hard climates.
0: Okay, Is there any in particular, like, names you could share as far as, like, the different cultivars that you would recommend? Or would that just be something,
1: probably Google? Yeah, I mean, there there are quite a few, actually. I was looking okay. at, uh, there's some old-fashioned types that are harder to find now, like yellow transparent would be a good one, uh, Alexander, red astrakhan. But some of the newer ones, uh, my favorite is frostbite. Uh, which comes out of uh, Minnesota and that is a really really tasty apple and it's a zone two it's Mm. super hardy.
0: So it'd be like Uh, tropical here
1: for it. (laughs) (laughs) And there are others like uh, Goodland and Carroll and Parkland these are all like super hardy apples.
0: Okay Okay. so maybe I've declared my uh, inability to grow just a little prematurely I just wasn't looking at the right the right types yeah okay I'm feeling I'm feeling hopeful Uh, so let's say I order uh, some trees they're coming here and like give me the rundown of how to plant them for the best possible result should I do do it now like springtime or should I wait a different time of year
1: if you're if you're buying a bare root tree uh, what I would do is uh, plant it hopefully it's dormant so you know this would be early spring or you can do it once they start to lose their leaves in the fall. If it's a potted tree, of course, anytime you can work the soil, you can, you can put in a potted tree. I think the, what I would do is dig a hole that's wider uh, than high or deep. You only need to go as deep as the root system is and then go wider because most of your roots are going uh, to grow horizontally. And uh, most of the feeding happens within the upper six inches or so of soil, and what I would do is use the same soil that you're digging out, but work in maybe about 20% of a good quality compost. Uh, things like alfalfa meal, uh, fish meal, bone meal, and so forth. You know, sprinkle some of that in as well, and and then uh, really, really soak it in. What you want to do is. You want to settle uh, the soil around the roots so there's no big air pockets or whatever. Stake your tree for at least for the first year. Uh, after that, you can take it off if it's a if it's a freestanding type tree. Um, and I would say just keep your watering up, especially the first season. And after that, it should be able to, to manage by itself. If you get a potted tree, the only difference is sometimes if you've ever taken a, plant out of a pot you'll see the roots coiled around well that's that's not a good thing because they'll tend to stay coiled and so you want to tease those roots out so that you can spread them in the hole you try to keep the ball together but the outside roots try to spread out and then against you know soil around them carefully and and goods a good soaking
0: okay how many would you recommend is there like Do I need to have a certain number for pollination, or for just a a typical family, we have a family of five. Would one tree be sufficient, or should we do uh, several?
1: Well, if there are no trees, other apples around you, uh, you need at least two compatible varieties or clones. Um, And so, you know, you might want to choose like a, a one early apple and then a couple of uh, like a cooking apple and a, and a good keeping apple for dessert or whatever. Uh, so, you know, three, I would say would be a really good number for a family. And once they start to produce, you know, that'll produce a lot of apples. Okay. How
0: long are we looking at if I get a bare root stock How, like till we it, are getting
1: apples? It, it depends a lot on the cultivar that you're planting as and the rootstock. Um, there is some like there's an old apple called northern spy used to be a really important pie apple. And on a seedling root, that would take six or seven years before you saw an apple. But you can put that same cultivar on a dwarfing root and it'll produce within three years. Most most apples, I always say an average of four years, you're, you're actually seeing production. You might get the odd apple before that, but not what you call a crop. And then okay. four to five years, then you're starting to, to go into production.
0: That's honestly sooner than I thought. I was expecting a lot, a lot more. Are, are these going to, like these hardier apples, are they going to be sizable? Or are these going to be smaller trees for the most part?
1: Uh, well, again, it, the rootstock has almost more um, to do with that than the cultivar. Okay. So the rootstock, again, if you have a standard apple, you can... If you don't prune it, it'll go up maybe 25, 30 feet tall. Okay. Um, but uh, if you have a hardy dwarfing rootstock, stock, um, they can be like 40% of that. So you might only get 10, 12 feet high. Okay. The only problem of course is you got to make sure that if it's a dwarfing root, then there are hardy ones out there. Uh, there's one called Budagovsky nine and, and another one, there's a Geneva, New York has put out a whole selection there's one called Geneva 41 that we use a lot, and that's a, it's a hardy dwarfing rootstock. So that, you know, a lot of that is controlled by the relationship between the rootstock and the top.
0: Okay, that makes sense. We just have, we have a couple spots in our yard. Uh, we had some ash trees that a beetle came through and took them out, which was devastating. Oh, yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out what to replace those with. Uh, I'd love to put apple trees there. I just, they need to be, you know, They don't, I don't want to shrub. I want more of a decent sized tree as the yard. So that maybe this would work then if they're getting, you know, 10 feet or more.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Awesome. So what does maintenance look like from year to year? I know, I mean, again, I know nothing about fruit but when I'm reading different homesteading books or seeing other people with orchards, I'm hearing words like pruning and grafting and there's oils and sprays. Like what does that look like to keep your tree in optimal condition?
1: Well, if you wanna produce quality fruit, um, that, that takes a lot, of, uh, a lot of maintenance. And what I mean by that is that everything likes to eat apples. They have high sugar content, so they're insects, there's fungal diseases and so forth. And right off the bat, what I would suggest is if you can, try to locate um, cultivars of apples that are disease resistant. And over the past half century, they have developed a large number of apples that do not get scab, which is one of the worst problems with apples. And some of them like Liberty is one I can think of, doesn't get scab, it doesn't get mildew, doesn't get fire blade, just super easy in, in terms of fungal diseases. Um, and after that, then the insects are the problem. And I mean, it we probably don't have time to go into everything, but basically over the last few decades, there's been tremendous research into organic ways of of protecting pests from pests. So there are new uh, materials, for instance, developed from soil fungi uh, that act as insecticides, but are totally innocuous to mammals. Um, So we use those for things like uh, uh, what we call uh, apple maggot uh, and codling moth. There are mating disruptors that can be used. You just tie them to the top of the tree. And over the season, they confuse the, like the codling moth, doesn't know where to, where to mate and so forth. Um, and there are materials that you can use uh, that sort of, you just sort of flip. Your, little hand, your backpack sprayer on the undersides of the leaves are about every fourth tree. And, and the apple maggot, when they come up, they're attracted to it, they eat it, they die. And so it's kind of an exciting time because it used to be that spraying apples was a dangerous business because you're using very toxic materials and we were eating toxic materials. And so what we're seeing is a, a really a renaissance, I think, of... Of apple growing that that can be done organically, which is exciting to me because we don't use pesticides or, or fungicides here. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so and, and in terms of pruning, in in the first years, what you're trying to do is create a um, a balanced scaffolding of branches. So try to maintain a single leader. So you don't ever touch the leader. And rather than cutting back branches, which is called heading back, what you wanna do is just thin the branches along the stem so that you have a branch in different directions every foot or so, eight inches to a foot. And then once you've established that sort of basic scaffolding, then as it grows larger, you wanna just thin, thin it out so that there's, so that sun and air can circulate uh, inside the tree, and if they have if they have access, if all of the flowers, for instance, or the the fruit has access to light, you're going to get better color. It's going to ripen earlier. Um, that's what I've been doing uh, this the last few days. is in the orchard now. I'm basically going through and pruning out uh, sometimes maybe half the wood. But these are older trees that I'm dealing with. They're forty some years old. So uh, I mean. You know it's not something you can you can plant them and just leave and you will get fruit but generally it will only be good for maybe making cider or whatever but if you want to have clean fruit then you need to do your research and that's one of the reasons i wrote the book was that there's so little out there on on these new products and so forth Um, and also the diversity of apples is something that i think needs to be kind of emphasize to people that there's, there are really thousands of different apples out there. Um, But what we see now in the stories is basically, you're lucky to see more than five different apples in the grocery store, because what we've selected for are beautiful looking dessert apples, right? Now, in the old days, they were picked more for keeping ability, cooking, uh, sauce, baking, so yes, there were dessert apples but uh, and there was also cider because when when apples first arrived in North America, it was, they were used basically to make alcoholic cider because you couldn't keep them. They had no refrigeration except for in a root cellar. And that's why they, they're good keepers were the hard ones are good. But most of them were used to create cider because cider you could store and it was uh, always in demand.
0: <laughs> yeah because it reminds me a lot of the heirloom vegetables, how we're so used to just certain, a few varieties at the grocery store of vegetables. But when you open up heirloom seed catalog, there's all the different colors of carrots and tomatoes. And it sounds like yeah. the same thing has happened with apples.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too, that it, when it seems that whenever things are dying out, there's always people that arise out of nowhere, it seems. And it's the same with apples. Like you have these apple, um, what would you call them? Um, Apple investigators that are going out and trying to find all these old apples in these old orchards before they're extinct and they've recovered an innumerable number of apples and uh, it's it's quite exciting actually so we have things like the black oxford which was used to be grown in maine but there were only a few trees left but now they're they're being distributed all over the country again so it's like a it is it's kind of this renaissance it's this yeah. and there's so many different flavors it's like people are, tend to have the same the same flavor given to them you know over it's this sort of su- sweet tends to be sweet crisp juicy nothing wrong with that those are great but there's so many different uh, textures and tastes and so forth
0: yeah worth exploring for sure all the yeah? the, the wide world yes yeah, so what's your favorite variety personally
1: Well, for me, it was always uh, what they call frostbite. It used to be called Minnesota 447. And it's just a smallish apple. uh, But the way I describe it is it's sort of like uh, comparing wine to brandy. It's like all the the aromas are intensified in this apple. And and it's just, um, it's kind of like, People say it tastes a bit like sugarcane and molasses and nuts. And, you know, it's very, very, it's unusual uh, in flavor, not like anything I've ever had before. And oh, I mean, really? one of the newer ones that's really good is ambrosia. Uh, and that's, that's along the lines of your, your, your sweet kind of dessert, but it's a beautiful aromatic apple. I um, don't you know, there, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many, it's hard to, uh, hard to concentrate on just one but
0: and how many did you say at the beginning of the interview how many you have your orchards how many varieties the
1: orchard the orchard probably has around 60 or 70 and then i have other places that i've planted uh newer cultivars and so forth so we probably have 150 maybe
0: that's fantastic I don't are you working I'm sure at some point you're just like, eh. um, "Are you working on bringing in some of those?" I'm, I'm assuming some of those older varieties and kind of re re energizing those yep. cultivars. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, we 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 talk with other people and and have cyan wood swaps, and there are again there are people that that will let me know if they have an, an an older apple, and you know most of the time I have it already, mm-hmm. but uh, we're always finding new ones, so. Or old ones that maybe, and also we have there we have people coming to us with wild apples they found that they think are exceptional, so nice. you know we uh, we'll propagate those for them and maybe plant one ourselves and see what it's like
0: okay what are the main differences there? just I mean just maybe that's an obvious question, but just the wild versus the varieties that are wild like but what are we looking at
1: difference wise? <laughs> Well, actually, you know, the, the apple genome is huge. It's twice as big as a human genome. And so every time the two apples cross, they produce something that's totally unique and, and usually unlike the parent, actually, sometimes it is, but, but usually they'll resemble a mother tree more than the other, but, but you never know what you're going to get. You can have most, most seedlings will be what I call bitters or spitters. You know, they'll, they'll, not be something the average person would want to eat. Um, They could be uh, quite tannic or whatever, but you can have a fabulous apple at the same time from that same cross. And so there, a lot of the wild apples that we have around here, for instance, we find in the hedgerows, they're not bad, you know, I mean, you can eat them, but every once in a while you'll find one that's really, really quite tasty. But to have an apple that actually makes it commercially, into the wider world. It has to taste good, generally look good. Uh, It has to be, it has to store well now. Um, And a lot of these older, old timers or uh, the wild apples and so forth, they won't meet all the criteria for a commercial apple. Right, okay.
0: How did Red Delicious become the one? Uh, do, you, do you know any history on that one? Because I don't, I don't like them. I mean, no. <laughs> not to be rude to the apples, but I just don't like them. And I think there's su- such superior, even in my limited knowledge. Do you know any juicy information, pun intended, of how well, that came to be the one?
1: It, it actually is an interesting story that the original uh, Red Delicious is called Hawkeye. It was found in Iowa, uh, a farmer kept cutting it down and, and kept coming back. And he saw, "He finally said, well, if thee will wants to grow, I will leave thee. And, and anyway, it, it was actually a striped apple, striped. And what happened over the period of a century, really, is that red sports kept appearing. And these were darker colored than the original. The interesting thing is that a lot of the aromatics in the apple are connected with yellow skin and green skin and so they actually were the apple was quote prettier as time went on they kept getting redder and redder and redder uh, but they actually were losing flavor originally the 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 apple tasted better than it does now but even so, I mean, I, I I find it's kind of like eating cardboard. Uh, it's one of my least favorite apples. And I think a lot of people have realized that um, they've been eating it just because it looks good. Right. Yes. Yes. And it has become iconic. It was the best selling apple in North America for many, many, many years. Uh, now we have things like Gala is probably the number one apple. Um, there are still honey crisp is huge right now in the north and again honey crisp was chosen for that crackling uh crispness I don't think it's that flavorful it's not bad Uh, but it keeps really really well and so the growers love it yes Uh, and it's actually saved a lot of northern orchards because they used to be growing things like macintosh and Cortland and so forth. And and as these new apples arrive from places like New Zealand and Australia, um, they, they cut into their market. And, and so the, uh, the Honeycrisp came along and all of a sudden, instead of getting $90 a bin in Chicago for Macintosh, they're getting $500 a bin for Honeycrisp. And so overnight it has changed like, I, I, never before has an apple taken off like Honeycrisp does. Hmm. And it's interesting because it's, uh, it doesn't grow well in a lot of areas. It, it, as you go further south, it becomes mealier and softer. And so you have to have uh, those kind of warm days and crisp nights to really ripen it properly.
0: So where would that be, like your, like Washington State for Honeycrisp? Where are those growing no, predominantly?
1: Washington America? State will grow them, but they're not as good as the ones grown in Minnesota or the Maritime provinces and so forth. You need that cold, um, that cold nights, and Washington State doesn't have that, so they tend to be not as tasty, not as crisp. So it, it really is, uh, uh, and apples are like that. It'll. An apple will tend to grow really well in, let's say, the Midwest of the U.S., but you take it north and it never ripens properly, or it's too hard. Or so they they do seem to prefer certain areas. Some are very very adaptable and they'll grow just about anywhere. But they're all different.
0: Interesting. And I had wondered that you know what what you said about the Red Delicious. If that was the case, it was for looks and not so much taste, which um, yeah that was right <laughs> so <laughs> i love i don't know i love food history of just how things came to be especially when we're talking about um the food that we see in the grocery store that people just assume is normal you know when you start to know the history of some of that it's actually there's a lot more to it so
1: oh yeah
0: I always find that interesting um kind of off topic slightly but back to growing i just had a thought pop in my mind we built a greenhouse a couple of years ago. It's a fairly large structure. It's unheated um, and we use it just to grow greens and brassicas and, and such during the winter. Am I correct that we would not want to put apple trees in a greenhouse situation just because maybe it would be too warm?
1: Yeah, What what's gonna happen, it's gonna heat up. You get a sunny day in the winter, it's gonna heat up. It's going to, the the, the water will come back into the cells and then at night, it's just gonna freeze. And it would probably kill the trees, I would say.
0: Okay. So unless we'll you, it. unless
1: it's, if you're keeping it sort of uh, uh, above freezing with some sort of heat, it's possible. But an apple has to go through a period of cold, uh, usually, in order to uh, to to complete its sort of life cycle, if you will. You know, it yeah. needs a needs a rest period, dormant period, and then a growth period, and then another dormant period.
0: Okay, and that's what I, I think I heard that because um, we had been researching maybe geothermal or some sort of sustainable heating systems for the the greenhouse because we know of people who grow citrus in theirs, you know, and I but I was thinking maybe if we do do citrus, we'll keep the apples outside. Not that I'm very confident we'll grow citrus, but <laughs> just for long first <laughs> lands. So, what is your favorite way to eat apples? I know there's so many options, but what's your number one favorite?
1: Well. Um, Of course, I mean, they're good right off the tree. But um, I would say uh, an apple crisp is one of my favorite desserts. I just love an apple crisp, and also uh, uh, sweet cider, like we take uh, usually a combination of apples but there's one called liberty that we use a lot. And it just creates almost a syrupy uh, Cider that it's just if you haven't most of the ciders you get are actually they're just apple juice they're filtered uh, they they usually have some sort of uh, preservative in them and so forth but what we do is we literally just squish the you know squeeze the juice out put it in a two liter jug and freeze it immediately yeah. and then when yeah. you take it out it's as good or better than when you froze it and uh, so there're no preservatives no like a lot of them actually use baking soda as a preservative which affects the flavor right yeah
0: absolutely So most
1: people have never tried a really good fresh cider
0: I, I've had it once or twice and I will agree it isn't, there's nothing like it like apple juice isn't even on the same planet it shouldn't even be no, in no the same no. category it's yeah I mean a good
1: a good cider actually will have will be cloudy it will have piece you know the they're fine but they're pieces of apple in it and that's what intensifies the flavor. You take those out and it's more watery.
0: Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's good. good stuff. For for your typical tree that someone like me would plant, what kind of yields could I expect if I'm taking care of the tree in a reasonable way and you know, it's four, five, six years old? I mean, what, what am I looking at
1: poundage-wise? Mm, that's a tough one because they vary so much in productivity. Uh, I have some that are extremely productive and, you know, a, a reasonably mature tree would give you a bushel of fruit.
0: Okay,
1: okay. Yeah, I mean, if you have a small young tree, like, you know, maybe, I don't know how many pounds, maybe 30 pounds or something like that, but, um, uh, you know, especially if you have a standard tree, you can get some, a, a older one might get two bushels of,
0: of apples, so. Sounds, yeah, that's reasonable. I like it. Well, um, Bob, we've covered a lot of ground. Thank you for answering all of my questions. And I'm feeling very inspired. I think I'm gonna go ahead to Google here once we get off and do some shopping, <laughs> see what I can find. Can you give everybody the scoop on your book? Because I think by the time this episode goes live, we're recording it a little early, but the time by the time people are watching this, that your book should be on shelves. Tell us how we can find it.
1: Well, you You should be able to go to any books, any major bookstore or um, online and to find it and just called Hardy Apples. It's very simple, Hardy Apples. And uh, as far as I know, it should be available pretty much any place that sells books because they're, they are promoting it fairly heavily. It's a nice, it's a hard hard cover, which I'm glad to see because I find soft cover just fall apart after a while. and, And a hard cover is more like a resource book you know yes yes and it has uh we have we have about 90 some cultivars that you know we tell the history of and and uh, the hardiness uh, what it looks like and it can be used uh, some to, if people are sleuthing apples too they can use it too to to help them id maybe some of these older apples as well
0: yes i will say i i don't have the book yet guys but i do i did see the pdf copy of it and it was fantastic like I've been saying on several episodes, I'm really beefing up my book library lately of those good resources. I don't, I mean, internet's fine and dandy, but I love having things in paper that I can refer to over and over again that I can trust. And this is one that's going in the library as soon as it comes out. So um, I'm excited for it.
1: I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Um, Any other last bit, oh my goodness. Any other last bits of advice that you'd want to share with (laughs) someone interested in apples before we,
1: um, I would say that before you jump into apples do a little bit of research you know find out about soils figure out where the site is and so forth just has, has got good frost drainage for you know because the frost will kill those those blossoms in the spring and so forth and uh <clears throat> and and do some research about you know what kind of root stocks that you think you should be having and and what kind of, uh, cultivars that you think would survive in your area and also what do you want to use it for are you going to be cooking because you can only eat so many fresh apples right so you want apples that can keep or that that are really good for pies and crisps that sort of thing so you know i'd say i'd say just spend a bit of time and do your research before you just go out and buy any any apple you see
0: i like it I will, I guess I will do a little research for shopping today, then (laughs) we'll try not to go off half cocked. So thank you so much, Bob. This was awesome. Uh, Everybody go out and grab a copy of Hardy Apples, the book, and I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you. It was really fun.